Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Strength and Speed owner and Conquer the Gauntlet Pro, Evan Preparis. I've got a special guest with me on the line who I'm really excited about. Before we get to him, though, a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Mudgear. If you know obstacle course racing, you got to know Mudgear, right? I mean, everyone on the course is pretty much wearing Mudgear socks, so they have great products there, but then they also have come up with some new stuff in the last couple of years. Um, one of them is the Rucksack, which I just wrote a review on for Mud Run Guide. So if you're interested in like a selection type events or uh, hurricane heats and stuff like that, you might want to check out that. And I actually use it for a wintertime running sock also because it's a little bit thicker than the normal mud gear socks. And they also have things like seat covers. Uh, I also have a review on mud run guide for that if you want to learn more about that. And they just came out with like a shower toga that's mud gear branded. So check out mud gear, huge supporter of the sport. And uh, we like to give back to the brands that support our sport. All right, let's get to today's guest. So I'm really excited about this one. You know, I've been eyeing getting him on the podcast for a while, but you know, when you commute, when you try to coordinate across multiple time zones, uh, you know, I already have enough trouble as it is, and it just adds another complex problem to the equation. But he's got a really cool event coming up this weekend, so it finally like it finally kicked me in the butt where I was like, all right, I need to get him on the podcast right now, and I need to get this episode out immediately. So joining me, I have Thomas Von Tonder. He's basically, you know. In America, we like when I think South African obstacle course racing, like you're you're the name I know, right? Like you are you, you're mm-hmm. the you're the big deal. You won the hundred meter, uh, the inaugural hundred meter OCR uh, World Championships event. You've been in the top five at OCR World Championships. You know, three k, fifteen k, four different times. You've been in the um, top ten another five times. You got seventy four OCR podiums out of I think it's out of eighty eight races. Is that correct? yeah it sounds pretty crazy if you say it like that but i think that yeah that's correct that is insane and uh so yeah thomas welcome to welcome to the show and uh, i'm just really excited to have you on here yeah thanks for having me eh? huge fan of the of the pod um obviously like you said time zones we're we're one of the furthest apart time zones i think it's like nine hours difference currently so yeah so it's actually night for me and it's morning for you yeah, my day just started, finished up my run, literally ran back to the computer, set up everything, and here we are. So, yeah, excited to have a, have a bit of a chat, share, uh, share this, like, let's call it a project that's uh, coming up early next week, not this weekend, though. Okay. This next week. So, um, I'm really excited. Let's, let's, give a, let's give like a one-second, a one-line teaser about what the, the world record uh, project is, and then we're going to jump into a little bit about you and obstacle course racing in South Africa and Europe, and then we'll you know round it back out and come back to the uh, the world record attempt. So you know, what is what is your big event this year? If I have to keep it short and leave most of the info for later, it's an extremely high timed rope climb. Um, I'll I'll leave it at that. Um, official Guinness World Record attempt, but we'll deep dive it uh, later in the episode. Perfect. All right, so let's start off with uh, just a, a little bit more about you. So I know, you know, we all we all fall into our own little bubbles, and you know, some people in America, you know, that only race Spartan, only know Spartan athletes. Some people, you know, only know American athletes or only know Canadian athletes. So just tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, like uh, what, kind of, what kind of sports you played growing up, and you know, how old you are and stuff like that. Where do you live? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So who who is Thomas? Um, yeah, Thomas. Uh, I live obviously in South Africa, a place called uh, Hartebisport or the Michalisberg Mountains. I'm sure you can Google that, you'll find it. It's a 
actually one of the oldest mountain ranges in the world. Pretty cool spot. Um, I'm 28 years old. I've been doing competitive OCR since 2014, since like first year of, of OCR World Champs 2014. Um, end of 2016, I signed as a Red Bull athlete to keep a to cut a long journey short. Um, we're from there to here. It's been been pretty crazy, but uh, yeah. Um, if I have to put the bragging rights in there a little bit, of the first of the first um, Red well, first OCR athlete to be signed by Red Bull, um, like internationally, and that to me was like one of my let's call it biggest like goals or like things I look back on like damn that's that's pretty cool. Um, I'm currently a dad of, uh, of married dad of one boy. Um, he's one year and two months old. Sebastian, he's like the coolest little dude in the world. But obviously, every parent, every parent's kids is just the best thing in the world. So um, he's pretty cool. I'm loving being a dad. Um, yeah, and I've been oh, this this year has been crazy for everyone. So I guess um, not too much of event-wise recently happening in South Africa. I'm sure you guys can relate. Like events has been been on a minimal um and like you said people we tend to just know the people in our bubbles like people in europe is, is very big in the like the ocr series events i know spartan is pretty huge in europe as well but i, th I know spartan is huge in the us and like i don't even really know a lot of the other ocr events from the us i just basically know spartan okay tough matter as well but it's it's weird how we kind of develop in our bubble. So it's cool to have a chat with you and just you know share a bit of my OCR bubble with with your bubble. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Spartan in the North America and the US had they have the most money and the biggest prizes. So it typically attracts uh, the biggest athletes. I think in the US there's a divide with um, there's a lot of um, there, there's a, there's a segment of athletes that are all about mandatory obstacle completion. And, uh, so some of the athletes that race the brand I represent conquer the gauntlet or savage race, um, both of which have smaller prize purses than, uh, Spartan does. Uh, some of them just either they like more technical obstacles and they veer, uh, towards that side and they kind of avoid Spartan because of the burpees. Now, um, we're going to get into obstacle yeah. difficulty in a little bit. Uh, but a couple more things about, cause I know that's a big topic in South Africa. So, but um, a couple yeah. more things about you, you know, what, what sports did you play growing up and then how did you find your way into the OCR world? Um, so yeah, growing up on school, I was always um, like sportive and competitive. Um, I didn't really like nail anything really good. Like wasn't the best at anything, but I competed at everything um, did fairly well. Like, you know, athletics, um, we played some rugby. Um, we played what's called softball. It's like baseball, just, they have a bigger ball and a steel bat <laughs> on school. After school, I, um, I did about four years of competitive kickboxing. And from there, I transitioned. Um, sorry, just give me a sec here. Yeah. No oh, little one's unhappy. You can, I think you can probably hear him. <laughs> I'm just going to sort him out though. Thank you, mom. Uh, sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it's life in, in lockdown. Well, not lockdown, life in COVID currently. So to get back here, after school, I did four years of competitive kickboxing. And that was kind of where the transition started um, from just sports in general to actually you know, starting OCR specifically. And the first event we did with, with mates just for fun. And the idea was just to go do this, this crazy thing. Was, <laughs> like the first time I was introduced to OCR, 
I was busy training for a cycling event and I got a flat tire next to the road, pushing my bike. And there's this bunch of people, like this big group of oaks just running out of the bush covered in mud. Like just the image in my head was like, what are you guys doing? Like, really, this is, <laughs> what are you doing? And from there, yeah, sorry, little one's busy this morning. So from there, like, I saw these oaks and I asked them, like, dudes, what are you doing? And they all just simultaneously said, warrior. And I was like, what, what does that even mean? Like, what is that? And from there, I, like, I Googled the warrior race and I found some oaks in the gym that they said they did this thing called the warrior race. And from there, I had some mates from the kickboxing club and we entered fun and kind of the rest is history seven, seven years down the line. So it's, um, that's my, my introduction to this crazy sport. And obviously it's, it's been a crazy journey from getting from there to where we are currently. Yeah. Um, but it just, it was so much fun. The first event was just such a fun thing to do. And then I saw people, the competitive heats, let people racing at the, like the, the first event we did for fun. And I, as we finished, we saw the actual elites of that day come over the line. And I thought to myself, this is a thing that you can actually race. This is really cool. Like, I, I, I want to try this. So I entered one batch, like the next event, but I entered wrong. I didn't do like the elite, I just did the, what do you call it? The, like the here for the beer. Oops, yeah, the open waves. Yeah. yeah, The open waves. And I came in, well, we started 10 minutes behind the like elite batch. And I came in second over the line on that day. And I was like, geez, you know, this, is, this is not, this can't be real. I, what, I'm second at an event? This is really cool. But I obviously couldn't get podium as I entered wrong. Um, so that was a bit of a light bulb day for me. It was like, okay, let's, let's see if I really put some effort into this. Like, how good can I be? And I entered the next one. I came second again behind a good friend of mine, JJ Daisel. Um, and then from there, I think I won three of them in a row. And then the light bulb really came on. Like, hey, Thomas, you know, you've been doing really good at sport, but this is, a, this is something I can personally do really well at. Um, and I did OCR, like I had a full-time construction job for like four years and part-time, like really early mornings. I remember those days I was so tired, like permanently, like late afternoons training, early morning training, full days of work. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that can, can relate. Um, so four years of full-time job, part-time training, and then end of 2016, 2017, um, no, it's actually end of 2017, 2018. Sorry, I got it all wrong. I decided, like, I'm going to take the, the leap of faith, you can call it that, and quit my day job and see if I put 100% of my time and effort into racing OCR, like, how good can I actually be? Um, and that's about three, three years down the line now. Um, not doing too bad currently. Well, COVID. You're under, right. Under, yeah. uh, under, under circumstances, doing okay. <laughs> So yeah, that's, that's about my, my intro to OCR. Um, awesome. We're, we're going to dive a little bit deeper. You know, one of the things we like to do on this podcast is ask people about, you know, what lessons can they pull from other sports they've done? And I've never had a kickboxer on. So, <laughs> you know, what, what, give me a lesson that you can pull from your experience in kickboxing that you've kind of carried over into OCR. Sure. Um, so yeah, firstly, I've always, I've always been, bit of a runner like just in general so if you say a kickboxer for me I'll, I'll give someone two examples and stuff that i can think of that transferred well from kickboxing to to ocr 
but I, I wasn't the purest like kickboxer, if you could say that, that just for context. Um, but kickboxing, I feel the, like the fighting sports, it's a very win or lose mental vibe. And like the game is you either win or you get beaten the hell out of you. Um, and mentally transferring that into a race, it's, there's no like middle ground. It's either you win or you get beaten really bad. So I think mentally that transferred really well. And the, I almost want to say call it stability or the ability to um, like those explosive movements. If you get into an obstacle, you have to jump or grab or like swing. I think those conditioning muscles, those smaller posture muscles were conditioned really well for those explosive movements. Um, and sometimes in, in the obstacles that, that I felt, what's the word, I guess, solid, like mm-hmm. stable, um, that transferred well. But other than that, I think the biggest advantage was just the mental game. Like, if like someone rocks up next to you, you can kind of visualize the fight. It's like, okay, it's you and me now. Yeah, I think that, that was the biggest um, advantage of, of having like a fighting background. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, great answer. Now, I know from an American perspective, when we hear South Africa, the brand we think of is warrior race. And from the American perspective, the obstacles are like legendary hard. Um, so can you, can you give us like some examples? You know, I know we've had, uh, Jay Flores went over and did a warrior race, uh, a couple years ago and he's really good at obstacles. And he just, he came back and was like, man, that beat me up so bad. There was like a heavy carry portion and it completely pumped me out. Now I know we're like Benny Gifford has also gone over and done them, uh, and said it was really challenging. So like, give us some examples on what makes warrior race unique. Um, and I would take, you know, kind of compare it to, OCR World Championships, I think that's a common point that most of our listeners have done or at least are aware of. Yeah, that's a that's very true. Like the perspective from the international scene is like, yeah, the perspective is really that our obstacles are mentally crazy. And yes, the Warrior Race does have some like really challenging obstacles. Um, I think specifically the one that Jay Flores and Benny Gifford did was our national championships that year. So it was just a notch above our like usual races. So they, they really picked a, a good one to experience the, <laughs> that side of it. <laughs> um, I won't say that the obstacles are, well, let's call it the last two to three years. They've, they've tuned them down a little bit. Because like you mentioned brief, um, briefly like earlier, it's that the different kind of races, some have the mandatory obstacle completion where you either get DQ'd if you can't complete it, um, where other has like Spartan has the, the burpee option where you like do a penalty lane or a burpee and then you continue. And the warrior race is, is very much catered to the, the mandatory obstacle completion side. And I guess there's merit to both, both sides of, of that kind of, of, of kind of racing, both has their, their pros and cons. Um, but having a mandatory obstacle completion race and then having these difficult obstacles um, really set the tone for this like intimidating event. Um, so initially it was, they kind of overdid it once or twice. There was one video of mine that did like really well in the U S that went out, like everybody saw it. 
of me just going obstacle back to back and it's almost like I never touch the ground. It's just never ending. Um, but that specific event was a bit out of proportion in terms of obstacles. They did tone them down after, like, just to keep it more balanced. Otherwise, it's a bit unfair <laughs> to the guys that's really good to at obstacles. So, yes, the race is intimidating. It's not as bad as that video that went out. It's a bit out of context. But if you're going to come down and do a warrior race, it's going to be challenging. It's, it's part of why it's such a, why people want to do it. It's, it's not like just a, a park run or like a super easy thing. Yes, they have easier versions like all the other races, like a 5K, 10K. But if you're going to do the difficult one, it's going to be difficult. Um, but in the same breath, sorry, you, you want to say something? Oh, no, I was going to say, yeah, you know, I think I remember seeing that video and being like, all right, yeah, he's almost across the rig. And then I was like, no, no, there's a little bit more rig left. No, he's still going. And then I would be like, how long is this freaking thing? Um, and, you know, I think we've gotten used to a certain level of difficulty at OCR World Championships, you know, and um, I've talked about it in the past, you, you know, too, easy, too hard for one person to be too easy for another person. And, you know, there, there's, always a, there's always a fluctuating difficulty level. But I think, and I'm speculating here, obviously, but I think, I think if we kept cranking up the difficulty level, I think the people, you know, the, instead of John Albin, I think we'd be talking about Thomas Von Tonder as like the repeat mm. world championship over and over again. That's just, that's just Evan speculating. Mm. Um, you know, John's obviously very good at obstacles and so was obstacles and so was Ryan Atkins. But I think if you cranked it up to like an insane level, I think it would be, you know, year, yeah, year after sure. year. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that's obviously part of the reason why I do so well at the warrior races. It kind of just caters really well to my kind of racing. Um, like the conquer the, uh, conquer the gauntlet. Mm-hmm. You mentioned I almost said conquer the castle <laughs> then Mark race conquer the gauntlet. Like I've seen some of the videos and that also looks like they have really like a, like really good obstacles. Savage race. I saw some of their stuff as well. Um, OCO world champs. I do feel is kind of the middle ground between let's call it like the Spartan race side where I wouldn't say it's runner dominated, but you really got to be able to run really well to be able to do good in the Spartan race. Um, where something like the Warrior Race or some of these other brands, where the obstacles kind of play a bit more of influence into the actual race. Um, I feel like World Champs has done well with trying to find a good balance between both. And the argument of, yes, if they just keep on cranking up the difficulty of the obstacles specifically, um, it'll definitely make a difference in, in like the World Champ race. Like, yes, Mera to, to Atkins and Alban, like, None credit taken away from them. They're both actually beasts on obstacles. Like Alvin, yeah, they're, for they're the size good. of that guy, the speed that he can pick up and carry a sandbag has blown me away. It's baffling. It's, him. it's baffling. It's such, he's such a small guy, but like I'm right behind him. We both go for sandbags at the same time. And by the time I look up, he's already like two, three steps ahead of me. I'm like, how? Like, how did he just do that? <laughs> so credit to them. They're beasts on the course. But I... I tend to agree. It's going to take a different athlete to race different kind of races. Depends. Crank it up high enough, I'll do really well. Yeah, I will. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, we, we talked a little bit about Warrior Race. Um, you, you mentioned you, you know, you've done some other brands. You know, so how often do you travel out of South Africa uh, to go do other races? And kind of what races do you typically go to? Okay, that's a good question. Um, Locally, 
we have one or two neighboring countries that's starting to go into OCR. So um, like Namibia started having also like a branch of Warrior Race hosting one or two there. So that would be like local travel. We have a decent amount of, of South African variety of events that I kind of travel for. But internationally, um, first one that pops up um, is the, the Conquer the Castle event in Denmark. I didn't make it to this year's edition for, for obvious reasons. But last year's, that was one of the very like unique, like just awesome vibe events that I went to. Um, not just saying that because I'm a Red Bull athlete, just Red Bull events, but they really make like a, like a good vibe um, with the whole Conquer the Castle thing. You know, at dinner inside the castle, it's just it was really cool. That's cool. Um, then the OCR series events, or what's it called? Strong Viking in, in Europe. They have pretty, pretty solid events. Uh, I've been over for one, one or two of them. Um, US side, I kind of felt all the world champs events I've, I've been to. Um, so I've been to Cincinnati, Ohio twice. Um, I've been to Atlanta, Georgia for World Suffers Mother in 2017. Um, I've been to obviously Canada twice for, for world champs in Toronto. Then the UK last year, the year before as well, world champs as well. And that's about it, I think. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah I think that's, that's about the ones I've I'm been gonna, going to. I'm going to ask because it's my, you know, it's my specialty and it's, it's, my, it's my jam, right? What did you think of World's Toughest? Yeah. So the year we did it, I wasn't planning on doing it. Um, like a month or two before there was this like travel company called travel start locally. That was like, they're looking for a group to send over to this event. Um, ironically, will suffer smutter. I was like, I don't know how they decided on that event, but obviously me being who I am in the South African scene, that was like, you, you're going <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, I'll go. <laughs> um, as well, you'll be surprised what you'll do if the whole trip's free. It's crazy. Oh uh, um, yeah. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> So we're like, okay, we'll stuff us butter, 24-hour endurance event. Um, so me and like three of my mates, we're like, get all the gear we can possibly think of. We start Googling like what wetsuits we can run in and stuff like that. Like a month before the time, we set up this little group and we're like trying to sort out all that stuff. And I, I probably watched some videos online and if, if you'll be in them or not, but I, everything that I could find on will stuff us butter, I was just gobbling it up to see what does this event actually look like. Um, so we went over. Atlanta, Georgia that year was like rainy and extremely cold. Oh I yeah, remember. that was that was a real, that was that was the coldest year. So I've I've done every year of Vegas and every year Atlanta, and that was the coldest mm-hmm. year, um, was, excluding New Jersey's. Yes, it was ridiculous. Like the thing that jumps to mind if I think of it being so cold is two things. One, like in the in the midnight, middle of the night somewhere, if you like grab the trussing of the obstacles for too long, your hand would like freeze to it because it's like wet and cold <laughs> and my wetsuit i took off my i had a three mil and a five mil i took off the three mil i put it on the chair went out for another lap came back and the thing looked like a surfboard it was like frozen like solid i actually have a video of it it was like why are we running in currently swimming in this like <laughs> but all in all it was a really cool event um i would easily do it again um if, it's, if it happens you know yeah we'll see. But um, I really liked it. I you you were doing the team. Re- you were doing the team relay that year, is that right? Uh, no, individual. Okay, just, individual. Yeah. Gotcha. 
So we didn't really have a pit crew as well. We just had these little like tents. You just rock up and sort your own stuff. And so I think that year pit crew would have been amazing. Just someone to give me hot water when I get back. It would have been so cool. Oh uh, yeah, pit crew makes a huge, huge, huge difference. Especially if you're, you know, you're going to be competitive. It, it makes a, I mean, yeah, substantial yeah. difference. Did you get to do? I'm tracking Warrior Race did one 24 hour event. Uh, mm. I can't remember what year it was. Uh, did you get to do that um, one? That was 2015. They had a six hour and a 24 hour, but back then 24 hours sounded so intimidating. I was like, no, I'll do the six hour, otherwise I'll die. Um, and I did the six hour. I've actually won. I did really well, but I haven't. The World Toughest Mother 2017 was my first actual like proper yeah. endurance event. Before that, you know, 20Ks, 30Ks, maybe 40, like, marathon vibes. But I think we did 138 kilometers. Oh, wow. Was it, like, 60, 70 miles? Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's, we did okay. Plus, uh, it's, like, 80 miles, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not bad. Like, I would like to one year train for it and see, like, if I, if I put some more effort into the endurance side of things what I could do there. But then again, I feel like people like Atkin and Eldons, like they just smash everything. It's not like, oh, they're <laughs> it's ridiculous. They're really like, yeah. I, I remember when I, when I first got involved in the sport, I went to war, like one of the first races I went to was warrior dash world championships, right? 5k. And I remember like, I didn't know any, I knew Jung Young Pack and I knew Ryan Atkins from world stuff as mother. Yeah. And I show up and I'm like, they can't win a 5k. They won a 24. Those are two different athletes. And like, yeah. you know, they came in like, I don't know, third and fourth or something. And I was like, how is that possible? Like I was just yeah. blown away by the range um, in which they're good at. And um, anyway, yeah, yeah. Tell, tell Warrior, if you have any connection to Tell Warrior Race, tell them to put on a 24-hour race event again so I can uh, fly over and do that. Because um, we've, had, we've had those talks. Yeah. So yeah, if you put it up, if you put one on, I'm I'm coming. Just uh, as long as I oh, yeah? as long as I can get off from work, and as long as this COVID thing uh, calms down a little bit. So. Yeah, there's a lot of lot of factors that currently is not normal. But I think the problem with hosting an event like that, especially if it's like a startup thing, first event, is that the amount of people that would race a 24 hour is just like way less than the amount of people that would race like a fun 5k thing. So yeah. for an event company perspective i really need to get some good motivation for them to go like okay yeah we'll host the 24 hour um like even world champs i think they had the 24 hour in australia and i think last year they said not having it i don't know the specific reasons i haven't chatted to adrian in a while um, i'll tell you some of the backside basically they made they make money but they don't make enough money right so like you know you do all this work and you make you know, X amount of dollars and you're like, cool. Like that basically paid for itself. And I did a lot of work and I have, you know, I have some extra change now, but it's, you know, it, it, it's not, it's not worth it. You don't have the numbers to offset, um, offset that stuff. So especially with yeah. Australia and I'd imagine, uh, South Africa, most of your athletes are going to be flying in, I'd imagine, um, mm. versus being locals, uh, versus something like world's toughest mutter, you know, you still get a lot of people flying in, but there's also a lot of people driving, right? Like, I mean, you know, Vegas yeah. has obviously Las Vegas, you know, LA has got a lot of, you know, big cities in the Southwest that can draw people in for driving. Um, mm. versus an international flight, the, you know, the cost increases exponentially for people. 
So. Yeah, it makes hundred percent sense. Like, um, if you're hosting a, a world champs event specifically, then then that's so much more of a factor. Like yeah, Euphoria should have a twenty four hour. Like, it's different from having the twenty four hour world champs. Then kind of people have to fly in. That's true. That's true. You know, there are other events in the U.S. that put on twenty four hour races, and uh, their numbers are. Dr- I mean, like drastically smaller, right? Like, I mean, uh, the Midwest Mayhem, you know, they had like 20 people, uh, Shell Hell probably had like 30 people, right? They're most of them they do it for a couple of years, and it's just a lot of work for not a lot of payout. It's a lot easier to yeah. put on a 5K, and you know, you get yeah. a couple hundred people or a couple thousand people, and I make a lot more yeah, money for make- a lot less effort. <laughs> yeah, just like. From an event company perspective, this makes so much more sense. Hosting a fun event and getting a bunch, bulk load of people just to come and smash it. Yeah. Um, but I would like to see a 24-hour warrior again. That'll be probably really cool. I think that'll be a really hard event. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Now, let's um, – before we get into your world record attempt, you know, take me through well, – one, what do you consider your specialty, right? You won the 100-meter um, – you won the 100-meter – you know, world championships, a world champion, but you've also come in second in the three K and you seem to do well in the warrior uh, races. Right. So, and you've done well in the 15 K, right. You come in the top tens of five times. Um, so, you know, what do you consider your specialty distance? Just out of curiosity. So I always kind of, it was hard for me to pick a, like a specialty distance um, in the first like half of my OCR career. Cause our local racing like the biggest thing is is the the Black Ops Elite Warrior Race is a 15k event, like 15 to 20k's, um, and that would be like the main focus. That's what I'm training for locally to be able to like compete. And it was only like 2017, 2018 that Warrior started putting on sprint events, so the 100 meter sprint um, concept. And when we had our first South, like official South African championships that was kind of accredited by OCR World Champs. So they sent one or two Oaks down, and we had this this joint collaboration championships. Um, if I'm not mistaken, that was 2017. Um, and I think the sprint races. It's 2018, according to your resume. I'm looking at Okay. <laughs> I was yeah, looking sorry, like, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Even got my back here. Yeah. Mix up my own dates. <laughs> Um, so I guess it's 2018 and when the Oxfam Auto World Champs kind of saw the sprint racing that we have going on and I almost want to say the media friendly and hype environment that you can build with that sprint race. Um, I think that inspired a lot, of, a lot of the reason why the 100 meter went to World Champs. I know there's Barbarian Arrow Race, I think it's in Europe somewhere or Russia that has like a similar 100 meter sprinting and i know the obstacle sports federation uh, osf or yeah is obstacle sports federation is also now doing like a straight line 100 meter um event so they they kind of they kind of coming out of the, out of the woodwork um the short distance stuff but locally believe it or not I, I did well like i would podium but i wasn't the dominating oak in the 100 meter sprint event um and I would do really well at the 15K. I had to dominate for, for a really long time, but the last year or two has, has been, it's been more tough. You know, the caliber of athletes that kind of competes just gone through the roof. Um, so hard to dominate anymore, but competing. 
Then the 3K at World Champs kind of was the middle ground for me between this really sprinting and more endurance zone. And I found that is kind of my, my target or my specialty currently. If I can have a 3K race with some decent obstacles, I can run that thing so hard. Like it's, oh, that's my focus currently. So Alvin is just still too fast to catch, but I'll get him. Like I'll get him. Maybe it takes me another 10 years if he's old enough to slow down. But <laughs> yeah, the 3K I feel is, is the kind of distance that my body type and my racing would transfer well into. Gotcha. Um, like big and strong enough to really smash the strength stuff in the carries, still short enough to re- just run really hard. Um, yeah, so focus on the 3K and try and defend the 100 meter. That's about gotcha. currently. So before we get into your world record attempt, Last question, you know, take me through a week in your training, like, you know, how much are you running? How much are you doing obstacle specific stuff? You know, we don't, what's kind of like your mileage, like, uh, you know, being more three K focused, um, just mm. go through that and then we'll jump into your world record. Okay. Um, yeah, obviously the, the last four or five months has been very different to normal just because of this, this world record attempt, like the conditioning and training has completely moved, but I'll chat through what my training typically would look like in like a, a usual season. Yeah. Um, um, mileage kind of varies depending where you are, but further or closer to events, I usually do between like 60 and 80 kilometers um, a week. I don't know what that transfers into miles. It's like uh, 40 to 48, 40 to 50, 40 to, yeah. 40 to 50 miles a week-ish. Yeah, I feel like that's that's good weeks. If I'm closer to events, I'll go under 40 miles um, or, or like 60Ks. If I'm further away from events, I feel like anything more than an 80 or like 50 mile week is is really a, almost like an endurance long like base training week. I feel like I can't do the quantity and the like interval sets in the same weeks. So it's usually around that that zone of, of mileage, um, obviously depending where we are out from events. Um, I'd have a bit more, well, if I say a bit, and actually, actually a lot more running focused uh, currently. Because of the obstacle side of things, I naturally take really well to. So I do train it, but it's not the focus. So my, my focus would be like, um, I'd have two to three focused running sessions a week whether it's interval session or track sessions like hills or something specifically to to running and running form um i'd have one chill day like fridays would usually be like just do nothing day i'll sit on a couch i'll foam roll i'll do just yeah take a day and completely chill um weekends is usually my longer stuff so like long easy runs i think a lot of people do it that way around um so if I say long, easy run, it'll probably be either based on time, like a, a two hour run, which is like low heart rate zone. Um, I sometimes get carried away and still run them too hard, but I think we all do that. Mm-hmm. Then yeah, during the week, I kind of focus on, on the more intensity stuff. I'll have one, maybe two like gym specific sessions. Uh, some days we'll just do strength, like core and stability stuff. Some days we'll be running focused. It'll obviously vary a bit. So one or two strength sessions, one or two quality running sessions, one rest day, and then some volleyball over the weekend. Um, 
yeah, in short, I think that that's about sums it up. I, I love that answer. You, you, you suggest a lot of the things that I suggest in my book. So I a hundred percent approve. And I've even, for me personally, I've said, you know, when I go up to 50 miles, um, in a training week, I feel like I can still, um, get faster. But once I get from like 50 to 70, um, it, my, my mm. speed stagnates or actually slips a little bit. And then once I go above 70, my speed slows and it's basically like all endurance. So big, yeah. big, big fan of the, some of your suggestions, you know, doing an endurance. And I, I think the, you know, good thing to point out, right? Like you're a 3k guy, but you're do, you're still doing these long runs to build that aerobic capacity. Um, so you can still, um, mm. you know, push hard. So, uh, big fan of that yeah. too. So, yeah, right. so we actually have your book. I'm on the cover. I had to get it. Like, yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Hell yeah. It's the start line photo of, I think it's 2014. Or yeah, it's 2014. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Like in there in the middle, I'm like, I'm on the cover of a book. I've got to have that book. <laughs> That's awesome. I get it. Oh, it's exciting for me. <laughs> Good stuff. All right. Let's, let's jump into your world record attempt. So, you know, take us through it. And uh, we'll start asking some clarifying questions. Okay. Um, yeah, this has been the exciting part of my life for the last four months. And I'll, I'll okay, first let me explain exactly what it is and then kind of dive into the explanation and reasoning and so on. Um, so the Soweto Towers, so Soweto is a region in Johannesburg and Soweto Towers is like the cooling towers of an old power station. Um, I'm pretty sure you'll have to just Google Soweto Towers, you'll see them. Yeah, it, so it like looks like, huge... for, for Americans, it looks like the stereotypical nuclear reactor uh, cooling towers. Yes. That's what it looks like. Yeah, go ahead. Exactly. And it's, a, well, the power station's not, not working anymore, and the towers are there, and it's like in the middle of this huge cultural, like, suburb. So they paint them with, like, branding and whatever. Is, you know, they paint this whole thing. So it's this huge painted colorful towers in the middle of this agricultural or not agriculture's cultural suburb um and they have a bungee between the two towers so there's a bridge rigged up between the two and then from from the bridge there's currently there's a bungee you can do is jump down and we're going to rig a like a 36 millimeter um like a battle rope like a rope climb rope <laughs> and rig that to the point where the bungee is, is used to be so that'll be a 94 meter vertical straight line um to the rigging point and then i'll try to summit that whole road climb but within that road climb we are applying for a fastest 50 meter guinness world record like fastest 50 meter road climb and we actually wanted to do 100 but 94 is a bit too short so we gotta settle for 50 um, so 50 meter world's like fastest rope climb. Um, and then from there, continuing to climb the whole towers to kind of just achieve the goal that we initially set out to do. Um, and that's uh, in summary, yeah, the project. <laughs> so let me just say, I love this, right? So when, when lockdown started, I thought two sports really did good during lockdown. One of them was strongman. Cause they were putting on these like unconventional events where these guys are doing crazy lifts and trying to set deadlift world record and stuff like that, where it was, it was interesting and you could, you could watch from a distance and, you know, you know, through, uh, through Facebook, social media, stuff like that. And the other one I think actually surprisingly did really well was ultra running 
where they were doing these like backyard ultras where people are, you know, it's like last man standing events. And it was really like outside the box thinking. And I, I don't, that's actually I, so ironic. I don't, I, yeah, I, I don't think most other sports have done well. And I think I, I love this cause it's outside the box and it draws attention to our sport through a different mm-hmm. um, mechanism um, you know, by, by doing something that's crazy and, you know, very visually appealing and that totally fits in with like the Red Bull branding. And, um, yeah, I, I just love it. I think it's very clever <laughs> and shows, you know, some of the, some of the strengths as OCR athletes. So super, yeah, thanks, super cool. Um, obviously climbing that high is, um, hard physically and probably mentally you know what are some of the you know in your in your train up what are some of the things you've experienced that you were kind of surprised about yeah so the the learning curve and the elements that like jumped out of the woodwork for us to put this thing together has been crazy but really cool like um we have a, a partner of mine city rock it's a indoor climbing gym in Johannesburg and they kind of approached them and said like, dudes, this is my idea, but how, how in the world am I going to like simulate or like train for this thing? Like I can't, what's the tallest thing I have to hang a rope from? It's like a, I don't know, maybe a building or a tree at home, like I don't know, four meters, five meters, but I've got to train for like a continuous 94 meter rope climb. And we we initially set up a rigging system where we have a rope it was eleven point six meter rope that went up to the ceiling of the climbing gym, and I would climb to the top of that, and then on a belay with a safety harness, there's someone who will drop me down on a safety line, then I'll lock into the climbing rope again, and I'll, I'll climb again. And that was kind of our our setup to try and train for this thing to see, okay, this is the goal, but is it actually achievable? Like we don't know. <laughs> So we started training for this thing and initially we thought, okay, the goal is just to climb the height of the towers. Like just that alone was, was the goal. Uh, we didn't have time initially. We just said we're climbing this thing to the top. Um, so I would practice my foot lock technique and whenever I literally can't hang anymore, I would just lock my feet as, as good I can and then just try and shake out my hands and rest on the rope and then continue climbing. And we thought, okay, we're going to see, I'm going to get on the rope. I'm going to just kind of climb and see if I can reach like the hundred meter mark. Uh, like, so that'll be 10 reps on our, on our rope to the ceiling. And I got to seven, almost 80 meters. And I literally couldn't climb anymore. Like my feet was burning. It's like, it's crazy how unconditioned the top of your feet are to take punishment. So yeah, that's yes. super interesting. Cause it's, you're putting pressure and friction on a point that, you know, normally yeah. accepts nothing. It's normally the top of your shield. Yeah. yeah. So I had this crazy, like burning pressure points, like that I never thought I would get. And that was the first thing that came out of like, dudes, we got to think of some solution to kind of support my feet because this is not going to last a full, like 90 meter climb. Um, and that attempt alone took us, um, you see, 24 minutes, 25 minutes. Oh, wow. So, I mean, that's 25 minutes just on, on the climbing rope. <laughs> it was quite insane. Like, your feet just doesn't take it. So, from there, we've progressed now in four months' time 
um, we bought the actual 100 meter rope that we're going to be using for a 10th day. And I had a special pulley made that we're feeding the rope through. So we put the pulley up in the ceiling and then we feed the 100 meter rope through the pulley. And then I'll like, I'm kind of on a treadmill on the other side of it. Oh, very um, interesting. Yeah. So that's been our go-to to just try and simulate to climb this thing. And about two months ago, obviously the application for Guinness World Records and stuff like that was in the, in the, in the process. And they said, okay, dudes, we can't do a 94 meter record. Like it has to be either 50 meters or hundred meters. Otherwise the next oak just comes and does like a 95 meter. So they had to like put some parameters in place. Um, Cause there's a lot of people that's done stuff like this, but just, different like ross edgley i don't know if you know ross edgley the guy yeah of course he swam around he swam around uk which is like the most yes it was like six months of swimming and he's like skin was falling (laughs) apart and his body was atrophying he's yeah i that guy insane yeah he's a yeah he's a beast but the dry robe athlete yeah so he's been featured on their website a whole bunch yeah i heard Um, he's a super nice i heard he's a super nice guy too from uh i was talking to pete one of the guy who kind of handles the athletes. He's like, oh, yeah, Ross is so nice, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, cool. That's always good to he hear. He looks like a like um, Anyway. Yeah, sorry. Uh, lost my track. Oh, yes. So he did a, um, a 24-hour rope climb, actually, at build up to one of the toughest events, the OCR events. And he did the height of Everest in under 24 hours, like on a 20-meter rope, like reps up and down, up and down, which is incredible that's that's crazy um, that sounds nauseating that sounds that sounds but, terrible yeah that does sound terrible <laughs> but i mean leon kofud um danish uh, OCR athlete he's done a 50 meter under a hot air balloon um so people has, has done stuff like this but it's all either reps for time on a shorter rope or like the distance like the continuousness of this i don't think specifically that has been has been done before so the conditioning to be able to stay on the rope long enough to be able to climb this thing has been the biggest learning curve or the hardest thing to get to um it's why we build the treadmill so i never never come off the rope i'll have to like stay on it to get my feet conditioning up and get those my shoulder muscles yes they were dying the first two months i was so stiff just like to pull my body to keep it onto the rope. It was so hard. It's better now, but it was so hard. Um, there's so many things I could keep talking about this thing for days. So basically we're six days out now. Uh, it's next week, Tuesday, uh, the 7th of November. And Red Bull will be shooting a whole like mini documentary about the whole thing. I'm pretty sure we'll have a live stream on the day. Um, so there'll be a decent amount of content coming out just to like give context to this, this whole thing and, and what it's, what it's taken to, to prep for this and the time factor coming in, it's almost like saying run a hundred meters. Yeah. Like super chill and run a hundred meters, but running it for time, is like a whole different ball game. Yeah. So climbing a 50 meter up. I think there'll be a decent number of people in the world that'll be able to do that. Um, maybe not as many, but there's, there's some freaks out there. But climbing it for time is so much harder. Like it was almost like this curveball they threw me with. Like, okay, we're not doing a hundred meter, we're doing a fifty meter, and we're doing it for time. 
then my training kind of moved completely from just enduring the rope to climbing it as fast as possible. So that's, that's been really hard as well. Um, and the time to beat for the five, for the 50 meter is, is, is five minutes. Um, this is a record that's been created by Guinness World Records. So it's not a title that somebody else registered. So there's no one that currently has that title, but there's still like a minimum time to beat. And I've done one or two simulations and one was like five minutes, 17 seconds or four minutes, like 10 seconds. You know, it's, we get really close. So it's going to be, it's going to be tight, but it's, it's not going to be an easy, uh, like a walk in the park. Awesome. Well, it sounds exciting. And we'll, you know, any of the links that you post to your page or off the Red Bull page, we'll be sharing a strength and speed. So you can look, you can either look at, you know, Dude. your athlete page, or you can look at the Red Bull page or our page. And uh, we'll make sure we get that spread out, especially to, Again, we, we fall into our little bubbles. We'll uh, we'll make sure we share that into a bunch of the American OCR groups because I think I think stuff like this is how we get our foot in the door with a lot of sponsors and draw attention to the sport. You know, kind of outside the box things that have a little bit more staying power versus like, hey, there was a race this weekend, a bunch of people won some money, you just send them the results. I think this stuff like this where it's like a guy did what? That's insane, you know. I think that's how you. Uh, I think that's how you draw attention and sponsors to the sport. So, super excited to see. And um, obviously, we wish you the best of luck. And well, uh, we don't believe in luck. We believe in skill. And uh, I think you have the skill to back it up. I think I remember you doing. I can't remember what race it was at. I want to say you you were doing monkey bars, but you were going back and forth down the monkey bars for like <laughs> for several minutes. And was I was Twister, yeah. Oh, yeah, was, was it Twister? At, Twister at uh, Lake Tahoe's Spartan World Champs in 2017. Yeah. So I, they had the monkey bar, like Twister, monkey bar, Twister. They called it monkey in the middle. And I was like, I did it up and down for like a couple of minutes. <laughs> I, so I remember watching that video uh, I'm on my phone and I was like, again, same thing. I was like, all right, well, he's going to fall off now. And then I was like, nope, he's going back. Nope, he's going back. And you went for so long. It was insane. And I was like, hmm. And I, I specifically, there was a, I was actually in Germany at the time when I saw that video um, for work. And the gym I was going to had like a long set of monkey bars. And I was like, I wonder how long I can go. And uh, I, not, I didn't get anywhere close to you, side note. But I did, like, it, I did set a PR. I don't remember what it is off the top of my head. But I remember like yeah. the mental image of watching you and like watching your technique helped helped me because I was imitating you and I had that like positive mental image when I went and did the training on my own. So uh, we'll try to find that video <laughs> and share it too. So that's a, yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. I think, oh, it's on my YouTube somewhere way back and my YouTube's not too active, but I do stuff like that on there now and then. But on the same note, it's like, it makes a huge difference when someone does something and your mind's like, that's actually doable. Right. So yeah. I imagine after me doing this rope climb, maybe there'll be one or two crazy people in the world that does something similar just yeah. that mental click of, of this this is actually doable it's like me with ocr when i see those people racing i was like this could be a race that's really cool so yeah, it's like a break in the four minute mile you know like no one broke the four minute yeah. mile and then like the, the the as soon as it was broken i mean you know roger bannister broke it it was like yeah you know, like another half dozen people that same year so when they said it was physiologically exactly. impossible so yeah same thing good stuff <laughs> um, <laughs> Sebastian says hi. This is like climbing daddy's uh, a jungle gym. And everything awesome. goes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, before before we let you get back to your family, 
uh, one, uh, what, you know, what sponsors are supporting this and what sponsors do you have? So you can give them a quick shout out. Um, yes, sorry, I'll give some love to the Oaks. It's really been supporting me with this project, like the city rock Oaks, um, locally, they've been golden in just giving me a place to try and, um, the black diamond equipment. I'm pretty sure black diamonds, a big climbing brand in the U S as well. Um, they've been, been awesome. And just, you know, the technical aspect of this climb has been immensely complicated. I have a whole rigging team just to handle the safety aspects and shooting it and et cetera, et cetera. So they've been, they've been awesome in, in helping in that aspect and making sure we're safe in doing this and ticking the right boxes there. I've, I've been with, with Salomon, uh, the running brand and clothing brand with, oh, yes, since 2015. Um, yeah, 2014, end of 2014, 15 somewhere. And we've, we've come a long way and they've been instrumental just in my OCR in general. Um, like if I think of Salomon sponsorship and OCR, I think of the world champs in, in Canada. That was so weird. We were sliding down the slopes and yeah, I had some decent shoes, the SLAB speeds for that day. And I think that saved my time. It's such a huge manner. It's not even funny, but yeah, that's Salomon has been, they've been solid. And Sunto, the tracking watch, like they've been with me as well for like a really long time. Um, and it's weird how much I've started using this for the project that I didn't think I would just recovery wise. And like, it's such a different training that I've been doing the last couple of months. So that's also been quite instrumental in just me making sure I'm not overkilling myself in, in some of the aspects that we're training for. Um, so that they've been, they've always been there. I love their watches and just saying that because they're sponsoring me. I'm pretty, pretty keen with it. I have a Sunto nine currently. I don't know if you guys have Sunto over there. You probably would. Um, but super happy with the Sunto nine. It's been golden. Um, and then obviously Red Bull is the big, the big hat on top. Um, they are the big dream givers for this whole project. Um, they've been supporting me so much for the last couple of years. And, um, when I came to them with this idea, like, geez, I want to climb this really high tower. <laughs> they're one of the few people you can go to with an idea like this. And they're like, yeah, let's do it. You know, other people would be like, what? So yeah, just stoked to be surrounded by enthusiastic, like, yeah, outgoing, positive people. Um, they've, they're, they're awesome. They've been awesome. Um, it's like almost like a an honor to represent them. So big shout out to them. They've been, they've been awesome. Um, and to you for having me on, this has been fun Yeah, cool to share my bubble with your bubble. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and before we, before we officially let you go, you know, we like to ask people, tell us one thing people would be surprised to know about you. So typically the less having to do with fitness, the better and the more random. And then I will share something that hopefully matches it. So you can go ahead and I'll see if I can match sure. it. Yeah, at the start of the podcast, you told me you're going to ask me this. I told you I'll give it some thought. But between then and now, really, there's not much thought that's gone on. Um, I think like I mentioned to you previously, I can play the guitar. Not a lot of people know that. I play the guitar and I sing a little bit. Uh, I haven't done it in a month or two now. Lockdown must have been good for that, but it wasn't. Uh, so I do that. I'm quite musical. Uh, I do art as well. I haven't done that in a month or so, but I, I can actually see some pictures of some of the work I've done before. Um, I want to say it's not bad, but you'll, you guys can be the judge of that. And um, I got married at sunrise. I don't know if people know that. Oh, interesting. That's, you know, like five o'clock in the morning, my grandma had to wake up at four. I was, she wasn't happy. <laughs> did, your, um, did your wife do her makeup the night before? Did she get up at like 1 a.m.? Right? Like yeah, she got... Yeah, she got up at a ridiculous hour. 
Is this your idea or her idea? Both. Oh, okay. We're like we're not. Yeah, we're not late night party people. We're like early morning adventure people. And okay, interesting. Yeah, we thought we get married in the morning. Then we have the whole day to like party and do whatever we want. So that that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, I don't know what else. Tell me okay. something weird about you. Maybe it'll spark some weird things about me. So uh, to kind of match the art thing, I am not artistic, but my wife is. So all the art in our house is actually made by her. So she's got a degree in studio art. And um, okay. our the biggest painting we have, it's like drawing, I guess it's not a painting, it's a drawing, is Jack uh, Nicholas from The Shining when he's like sticking his face through that yeah. door. She painted this like giant picture of that. And um, it's really weird because you can see this skull inside of his head, but it's also like, like they painted this, she painted the skull or drew the skull and then painted or drew the, the image over it. And it's like, it's probably, uh, you know, four feet by five feet. It is huge. Um, it's now sitting in the, yeah, it's, it's super creepy. It kind of creeps me out. It's, it was in our basement and my five-year-old daughter was scared of it. (laughs) So we moved it into the back room. Um, (laughs) If your daughter's scared of it, it's pretty creepy. <laughs> yeah, it, it, creepy. I mean, it's done really that. well. Um, and then for, I, I think I, I, you know, I, I played the saxophone in high school. Was very good at it. I'm gonna share. I'm gonna share a random skill that I'm super proud of. Um, so I, I read a lot. I used to read a lot of knife magazines, and you know, uh, yeah, I, I delve into random topics. And one of them that I used to sell in the knife magazine was lock picking. So like, you know, I tried my hand at lock picking, which is super hard, by the way. Um, but I, I have, I have a little bit of skill and, uh, a couple weeks ago at work, uh, two guys had their desks were locked. Um, we shift, we switched offices and essentially the people who left, uh, took the key with them. So their desks were like permanently locked. So I brought in my lock pick and I, I it took me about, you know, five or 10 minutes for each one, but I successfully picked, uh, two locks and I was, I was, I was super excited because my, my friends were, my friends were trash talking me. Um, and um, I finally got it open, and I was like, "Yeah, eat it!" But <laughs> like, well, that's my like very random skill. Um, and it, I, I don't know yeah. how much of it is blind luck, and uh, but it's um, yeah. you, you really got to finesse it because like there's a so you basically you put a tension wrench to add some pressure, and then you got to like stick a pick in there yeah. and kind of uh, mess with the pins. But the trick is yeah. now, where I ha- where I had a lot of trouble is the tension wrench. It's a very very light amount of pressure, and people. People are probably too much on the tension wrench and it, it locks the lock up. So Yeah, yeah. It does it I think that's one of the things that commonly is very misconceived. Like, yeah, we just pick the lock, but it, I can imagine it being super technical. It's yes. really not as easy as it's like in the movies. Yeah, no. Day. I mean I'm sure some people are really good at it. Uh, I am I'm definitely not, but I've I've done a couple. It's a lot easier just yeah. to credit credit card the door, right? Like you take a credit card and jam yeah. it into the door frame and actually move the uh with the mechanism, uh, but yeah, I think doesn't doesn't work for deadbolts, obviously. That's not the most uh, common skill. No, <laughs> sure, no. <laughs> All right, well, we're gonna let you go. Um, thanks again so much for coming on. Glad we got this coordinated, and we will be sharing all your content uh, as it comes out and kind of spreading it around the U.S. and uh, yeah, with a with kind of a quiet OCR season. I think this is, I think this is great. Yeah, thanks, I'm, man. I'm, I'm super excited. So uh, yeah, that'll be that'll be huge. I think uh, we have some really solid content that they're going to be producing for this. So I'll send it to you as it as it releases. Um, but yeah, thanks for, for having me on and 
for the chat and sharing sharing the stuff out. I think it's it is diff- something different. It's more like a passion project for me, but it turned into this huge thing now. So yeah, keen to to inspire some positive vibes and just to yeah to see if I can uh, maybe encourage people to look for something crazy and big they want to attempt and go for it. Yeah, I I really hope this uh, inspires some other people to do some similar type you know um, yeah. publicities type stuff for the sport. You know, where can yeah, people exactly. find you on social media? And then any final shout outs you want to give to uh, friends, family, sponsors, etc. Before we let you go. Um, so my most active profiles would be Instagram um, at Thomas underscore OCR. Um, pretty much just, or you can just show Thomas from Tonda. I'm pretty sure I'll come up somewhere. Um, so Instagram is most active. I'm on Facebook as well. Not TikTok so much. Um, we had actually had a class last night on from Red Bull side on why TikTok's really good. So maybe I'll, I'll start a profile there. <laughs> <laughs> but um, mostly Instagram at Thomas OCR. Um, I'll be posting a lot of stuff to there, but uh, I feel like the, the Red Bull channels like Red Bull TV and so on, there'll be a lot of this content going going to there as well, but I'll share the links to that. And then um, shout out wise, uh, it's mostly just um, everyone that's been involved in, in this project and getting it to the point where it's at. It's been way more planning intensive than we anticipated. Um, so a lot of people suffered a lot of their personal time in, in making this thing happen. So just shout out to them. And um, yeah, for you guys over there on the other side of the big blue pond, um, for having me on and kind of just sharing in the in the hype and the the excitement, appreciate it. Awesome. And for any of our listeners, especially those on the other side of the world, uh, if you want to pick up any of my books, they're now all on Amazon. So uh, digital copies of I think well, Strength and Speed's Guide to Elite Obstacle Course Racing, the one you're on the cover of. I don't have mm. a digital copy yet. Uh, I'm working on working on releasing an updated version of that. Um, but okay. the, uh, all my other books, uh, you know, Mudrun Guides, Ultra OCR Bible, Mudrun Guides, uh, Ultimate OCR Bucket List, and then my biography, Ultra OCR Man, and um, the Conquering the Gauntlet books, they are all on Amazon now, both in digital and hard copy. And my biography, uh, Ultra OCR Man from Special Forces Soldier to Record Setting Obstacle Course Racer is on Audible also. So um, for those of you on the other side of the world, is uh, now a lot easier to get my get books. Yeah, then um, me shipping it from the U.S. because it's the shipping is just brutal, especially to South Africa. I think I've I've mailed some yeah. stuff there, and I I, I think I mm. not South Africa, but I think I I mailed a whole bunch of books to Portugal once, and I actually I think I actually lost money because the shipping was <laughs> so much. I was like, damn so it! I was like, it's the opposite of what's supposed to happen. But you know. <laughs> It was cool. Yeah, I'm super keen to read some of those. I didn't know you have so many books. Jeez, I'm keen to read some of them. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I got a bunch though. So I enjoy it, and nice. I think it, I think it has more staying power. Um, and I'm, mm. I'm hoping, you know, um, I'm hoping some other athletes write like some biographies because I think, I think that's right. Like I don't know when I got into ultra running, it was from reading like Dean Karnazes' Ultra uh, Marathon Man, and mm. I hope I hope other athletes, you know, like. You know Jesse Bruce has a pretty create some pretty crazy story. Um, if you've mm. uh, if you've seen his YouTube video, uh, the new addiction or something, it's like a fifteen no. minute doc, that little documentary about like essentially he's basically drug ridden past and turning it around and mm. opening a gym and okay. obstacle course racing. So. I'll go check it out. Sounds cool. Yeah, we'll post some of these links and we'll have Thomas share some of his links and we mm. will uh, 
we'll spread the word and keep spreading the sport. So Thomas, thanks again for coming on and looking forward to watching you crush it next week. Thanks dude. Uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me and I'll, uh, I'll keep you guys posted as much as I can. Awesome. Catch you later. Sweet dude. Yeah. Cheers. Great.